0: Welcome to Spirit of the Midwest, a show featuring interviews and stories that expose the deep values and pride found in the heart of America. My name is Sika Hicks, and I'm here today with my co-host, Wesley Noble.
1: And we are here with Colby Jennings, who is an artist and teacher from Springfield, Missouri. Uh, As an artist, he works with time-based media installation and performance, and he is an assistant professor in the art and design department at Missouri State University, also here in Springfield. His work has been exhibited both nationally and internationally, and it's really awesome. And we're super excited to get to talk with you today, Colby. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me this morning.
1: Oh, it's going to be great. I'm so excited. Um, So just diving right in, we like to ask um, what your story is, how you got to the place you are today, and what your journey was.
2: Okay, so you saved the hard questions for the first (laughs) Um, you know, I, I actually grew up uh, just right south of Kansas City uh, in a little town called Butler, Missouri, and um, not, nothing terribly interesting went on for the first, you know, 18 years or so or <laughs> arguably after that. But, um, you know, it was a small rural farming community, and um, I would definitely say those influences have stuck with me. Um, not just the people that you meet there, but you know also the landscape, which that didn't become apparent to me until um, until I was in grad school. But anyway, so I, I did my undergrad at Missouri State um, in Springfield, Missouri, and um, then my wife and I found our way out to uh, Washington, uh, Washington State, uh, for grad school. And it was there when I really. Um, when I really realized how important the connection to um, the Midwest um, was for me. Mm. I figured I'd put that in there since you know your podcast is called Spirit of the Midwest. Yeah. I worked that in right from the beginning. Um, but you know it was it was interesting. the landscape out there it was on the east side of the state and it was a lot of really worn down rolling hills, probably ancient mountains or something up to that effect. Um, but you know it was it was a really weird land because you find yourself down in the valleys between these hills, these really, really large hills. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see, you know, you couldn't see like two in the Midwest, sometimes, especially out sort of in the big farming expanses of the Midwest, you can just kind of see forever. Um, and, uh, that landscape was something that I missed. So as much as I wanted to really fit in out in Washington, you know, I got out of undergrad and I just thought, no, just no way. I'm not coming back. Not going to do it. Done with Springfield, done with Missouri. And that time away, uh, basically made a big joke out of all that so um so yeah no um you know it it, it just it it gets in your blood and it stays there and um you get connections with certain personality types and you get connections with the land and you get connections with certain value structures and um you know um so that's kind of what led me here so anyway so after grad school it just sort of worked out that my wife. We're we'll going to make our way back here to Springfield, and um, I get to do what I love on a daily basis. I absolutely love my job, and um, and Springfield has been good to me, so I can't complain. Hmm.
1: Very cool. And can you explain what you do, um, even to someone who who's not familiar with that that type of work, and even how you got into it, the story there?
2: Sure. Sure. Um, so I started out actually with computer animation um in the in the program, uh, the Bachelors of Fine Arts um computer animation program here at Missouri State. And um I had a wonderful, uh wonderful instructor who uh, basically helped me through um sort of a period of struggle that I was going through that, you know, the animation itself wasn't really the the proper vehicle for expression. I was very much into video and I was very much into um, interacting with art, but not in the same fashion that you would find, you know, I, I was I was I was really influenced by a lot of the music and a lot of the videos that you would find, let's say on M T V of the time, but I didn't want to do work like that. I was interested in other things. Hmm. And being from uh, a smaller town, and not necessarily, you know. Even though we did have access in Kansas City to, uh, uh, you know, really a world-class museum in the um, the Nelson Atkins, um, my my experience was very limited in terms of art outside of, you know, paint on canvas, um, ink on paper kinds of things. Um, so, so somebody opened up this other world to me of the ability to express yourself through uh, these digital mediums, um, interacting with work in um, a little bit different ways, things that would um, ask you to question things. I don't know, I, intrigue, question, uh, anxiety, those are sort of the playgrounds for me. Um, mm. And those were things that I was able to express through video and through motion images and through um, you know, interacting with work, setting up an installation that responds to your experience when you're there or responds to your, um, excuse me, your presence when you're there. The experience changes. Um, so so really uh, translate out, you know, the idea of the interactive kiosk and the interactive museum installation to then more of a fine arts sort of focus, and that's kind of where I live. That's my little playground area.
0: That's really cool. You know, and I, I actually lived in Kansas City for a while, and so I'm very familiar with Nelson, uh, Nelson Atkins and uh, some of the displays there that are, slightly interactive you know like where you walk up and something subtly changes but not immersive Um, and I have seen photos and videos of, of ones that are truly interactive where you come up and the whole thing like comes to life and then as you move through it it actually you're interacting with the art and that's that field really really fascinates me and and I mean do we have anything like that here in Springfield?
2: well you know um it's it's funny that you mentioned that I'm definitely not trying to plug anything here, but um, oh, no go um, ahead yeah some of my students have actually worked with the Discovery Center here in Springfield um to help them uh, the i think it was called the World wise exhibition or exhibit up on the top floor of their space, and uh, a group of my students helped them translate that from being more of a static experience to um Uh, They basically used um, augmented reality, some sort of prepackaged augmented reality applications and loaded it with content so that um, users and viewers can walk in, pick up their mobile phone or they can um, pick up one of the iPads that's provided by the Discovery Center and and really kind of changes the experience through some QR codes and some image recognition. Oh, Oh,
1: that's so cool. That was Jody McFarland and now Jody Butts um, who did that,
2: right? That's correct. That's Jody and Mike Owens. Yep. Very nice. cool. Yeah,
0: they're Very cool. Uh, Jody's good friends of ours, and and we the augmented reality stuff. So, just to I, I'm going to go on down this tangent for a minute. So, how does augmented reality change in your mind? Change the work that you've done previously. Like, would you ever consider going back to things that you've done in the past? Uh, which you know, I'd love to talk to you about in a minute, like some of the stuff you've done in the past. But have you have you ever looked back at some of that and said? Could I, you know, reinvent this or could I have done this differently with things like augmented reality?
2: Oh, constantly. I'm constantly looking back at things. Um, As an artist, I'm, I am, I'm somebody that lives with my work and Mm. has to live with it. Um, and sometimes depending on, you know, when something is quote unquote completed, I'll live with it for a while before I'm ever able to sort of turn it loose out into the wild (laughs) Um, and other times I continue to revisit and want to revisit things. And at, at a certain point, you've got to sort of pause yourself from doing that. But, um, but absolutely, I, 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 look back a lot and want to revisit things, but, you know, um, I, I keep a sketchbook as do probably most artists, creatives, designers, whatever, um, you know, theater folks even, you know, but, uh, that sketchbook is so full of other stuff that I want to get to, that I need to get to that sort of, you know, is burning a hole in the page of that sketchbook that, yeah. man, if you just revisited everything, you'd need more, more than one lifetime to do it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's it. I have a habit of carrying notebooks in my bag, and and they fill up with strange things sometimes, but it's, you know, there's like this one thing I'm working on, and then there's like these five things that I happened along a way, and I was like, well, I can't just not record them, so I, <laughs>
2: they have to go somewhere, you know? But Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I was even laying in bed last night, you know, I was, uh, occasionally I get a a bout of insomnia or something. And uh, typically it's because something gets in my head and it's gnawing a hole and it just Mm. needs to come out. And if I don't get up and write it down, it just, it's not gonna leave me alone. So I got up and did that and then I ended up falling in a hole down the internet. So. (laughs) um.
1: You know, would you be able to give us an example of um, one of your favorite pieces that you've done and walk us through what exactly happens just so we can get a better idea of what you do? Sure. Um,
2: so I, I, one of my favorites. Um, one of the things that I think got closest to the way I envisioned it, I guess that would be a good um, a good way of sort of assessing my favorite, um, was a piece that I did um, towards the end of my grad studies Um that involved a space that I was able to control, so the lighting was dimmed, and it, it involved uh, two projectors. One of the projectors was um, hung from the ceiling, suspended from the ceiling, and pointed down at the ground. Um, and on that projector, uh, there was displayed um, a video of water—just some water that I had recorded, um, that I had later manipulated. But um, and then on the wall. There was an image of me that was sort of ghosted, and uh, it's not important that it was me; it just so happened to be me. But <laughs> um, the the image was sort of multi multiple layers of a particular performance, and that performance was a simple one of picking up water in your hands and then sort of dipping it over my face, not mm. quite, you know, in the action of washing your face, or but just sort of just taking the water over my head. So, so that this this water that's projected down on the floor now of the gallery is kind of reacting as I'm dipping down. It's the ripples are building on that um. on that on that water, and then when uh, there's a, there's a camera um, that through motion tracking senses when a, a viewer is in that space, when they're in front of that pool, when they get closer to it, and then the pool responds to their presence as well. Um, through ripples, through small ripples in this pool that them sort of, I guess, conceptually dipping down into and pulling water from.
0: Oh, neat.
1: Huh. And what is that? What did that signify? What did that? What was the message in that?
2: Uh, you know, lots of things. Um, that particular one um, was a lot about, uh, you know, at that particular time, it was important for me to just sort of see things as they were and not as I wanted them to be, to accept things. Um, you know, I was really really, really influenced by um, different types of philosophy and different teachers that I was working with and sort of that weird uh, relationship to the landscape that I was just never quite able to put my roots down into. Um, sort of a, a want and a need to get back to my own roots. and just it was a, it was a lot about that sort of process of acceptance. And I think a lot of artists go through that. I just happened to go through mine in grad school instead of earlier or later. <laughs> hmm. So,
0: so I have, um, a, I have a question regarding um, when you were talking about your origins. You were saying that there were a lot of hills, right? And you couldn't really see the open landscape of the Midwest like we classically think of it. And so, um, one of the pieces that you've done in the past was a tour of the moment. Or excuse me, the monuments of Passaic. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So it's um, the way you describe it on your site is. Uh, my work chronicles the shell of a landscape left in the wake of the transition from small farming oper- operations that once supported communities to the current trend of large industrial farming operations, which left these communities on the vine to wither. And so you have like, you know, deserted fueling stations and communication and energy poles that are kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Like they, they kind of half made it to their destination. Uh, and then you see the community continue on, like where the electricity didn't reach, you know, things like that. and uh So I'm just curious, like with things like this and then with your origin of not getting to kind of look out and see the rolling hills and so forth as much, you know, did you find that when you started stepping out of where you came from or when you started exploring more areas of Midwest and uh, kind of that time when you said you were done, you know, with a lot of Missouri and so forth, uh, did you start discovering these things and it, it kind of like how did that affect your scope? Of the Midwest itself, but then also of the things that were around you that you could go explore.
2: Well, um, and and so to just to back up just a little bit, um, one of the things that was so foreign to me when I was in Washington was all of the hills that I couldn't see. You know, I, I really couldn't see out that that long expanse hmm. where I grew up in, in in Butler, Missouri. It was very much um, very much a place that I you, you know the the, the sweet landscape was, was something that I could look out and see you know the the farmlands were just sort of went on um Butler is right in the area where sort of the hills of the Ozarks start to transition into the plains of sort of the northern Midwest um so so that was something that I did miss when I was in grad school in uh, Washington State so but so to go back to your question then about that particular piece or that series of uh photographs and that you're talking about um, that particular work, um, to be fair, is largely inspired um, by Robert Smithson and his work, A Tour of the Monuments of Passaic. So that was the title of it. But he happened to be talking about Passaic, New Jersey. Hmm. And he was talking about a landscape that was essentially chewed up um, by industrial, post-industrial sort of um, time periods of the United States where – Large expanses of land were transformed into manufacturing sites that were then sort of um, just left to sort of wither and rot, you know, after they were used up and done, or after the ground was um, so poorly mistreated and polluted that, you know, they couldn't go in and even afford to clean it up. So they just abandoned it, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. So i was I was really interested in that um, and, and that's not necessarily the work he's known for. He's known for larger uh, land um, sort of pieces but um, that particular work was interesting because I, I lived you know five minutes south of a town called Passaic, Missouri and it was very much a little small town that never quite made it you know it it that reference to on the vine, and I, I'm not really sure that I wrote that. That might be something that was written about it by somebody else because I don't. That that just was way that sounded way too good to me. I don't. Think, I'm not a writer, so that probably wasn't me. Um, there's a reason why I make images. You know, there's a there's a there's a there's a definite reason why I do what I do. Um, but in any case, the um, it, it's pretty accurate whatever that that, that was written about that um, because sake never quite made it, you know. It, it 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 tried to grow, and agriculture was its was really its lifeblood. And the in, the industrialization of agriculture, these large um, farming operations, which not passing judgment, not saying anything negative other than just that exists, that transition has really left small towns sort of in its wake, you know, and and left them to dry up. And Butler. Uh, is another town that's really struggling to define itself. Um, You know, what does it mean to be an agricultural community and a community really that's dependent upon agriculture when it really no longer requires as many people as what it used to, you Mm know? Um, There's, there's little to no industry in my hometown. A lot of it's a commuter community. You know, people typically work outside of that, and people that work inside of the community um, work in service industries or they work in the grocery stores. Or it's just it, it's quite interesting. People are, I, I think th- this is happening in a lot of rural communities that are really struggling to define themselves. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. You know, I have a question about your artist statement. And one of the things you say in there is that you make in order to understand. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh,
2: I, I hope so. <laughs> um, so so to go back earlier when I was talking about I live with my work a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I subscribe to artwork and lots of other forms of expression, whether it be visual, um, through audio, through whatever. Um, it's a way to gain different kinds of understanding. And I used to think knowledge was the appropriate term for that. But I don't think knowledge is quite right for that anymore. It's more like insight. Hmm. Um, and it's it's a way to digest uh, experiences, emotions, um, things that are that are confusing, perplexing, anxieties. It's a way to digest those things externally or to put them out there externally and then digest them. Almost not quite from a third-party perspective – Um, but at, at a bit more of a safe distance, you know, you can, you can sort of rid that, get that outside of your body, deal with it, consume it, digest it in a more comfortable setting or in, at at least in a time period that's more conducive to maybe whatever the weight of that emotion was. And, um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm probably dancing around the question a little bit. I apologize. No, you're
1: fine. But,
2: um, But I I think that's kind of, that's, that for me makes the most sense. That's why I, again, do what I do. That's why my work is the way that it is. It's because it helps me. I'm, I'm probably a selfish artist in that way. You know, some artists would say that they paint because they want to share an experience with somebody or they want to share a sunset or they want to do something. Um, But that's not the case for me. I I, I make for me because I'm trying to figure something out. And I'm -hmm. I'm, I'm not the only artist that does that, but I'm just saying. Um, But, I make because I'm trying to figure something out. There was something that sucked about this moment or there was something that was really strange about this or there was something here that I couldn't figure out because, you know, it it instilled that fight or flight anxiety in me and I just don't know what it was. So let's get it out there and then deal with it. You know, it's just a coping mechanism, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And if we could talk a little bit about your anxiety, because also in that artist statement um, it talked about how you disarm your anxieties through your work, which is just fascinating. Can you
2: explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, So again, a lot of artists deal with anxiety. Um, And I'm not even going to try and quote anybody, but I I came across something in grad school where an artist was talking about, you know, anxiety sort of being the playground or the lifeblood or something uh, of, of a particular group or or, or body of artists and I really identified with that um, because at the time I was even sort of struggling to understand what the notion of identity was right Um, you know again so my community was incredible to grow up in I'm I I, I used to say again that I, I never wanted to go back to Butler and I never wanted to go back to my hometown and this and that and there just wasn't much there and maturity has helped me realize just how great of a place it was to grow up
1: Hmm.
2: but there was that doesn't mean there weren't any things that stuck with me that didn't sit in and and maybe develop into an anxiety or yeah sure probably a source of um something that came out of maybe even a personal insecurity you know um masculinity was something that i was dressing for a while And the idea of what it meant to be male um, was very much defined through particular actions or um, even costuming. And I say costuming again, and not not in a pejorative term, but Mm -hmm. costuming in terms of men look a certain way. You know, they act a certain way, um, particularly the sort of stoic male um, within the community. I got to meet a lot of those types Um, and to have a respect for that and to admire that, um, about this particular regional culture, about these people that you grew up with. Um, but yet to not quite understand that or feel like that's appropriate for you or something that was just a, a weird disconnect. So that was one mm-hmm. of the anxieties that got me started down that path.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And it's neat to look back at places where, you know, I grew up for, I was spent 24 years in Omaha, Nebraska, and it's kind of cool to look back and see, especially when you go back and visit those places, and to see how the landscape hasn't physically changed, but it's changed in the way you look at it, it's changed in the way that uh, you react with it, you know, and, and shops that you used to go to, or places you, you thought were interesting, you see in a different light, and I, I think it's so healthy to have that distance, but then, you know, I've lived in the Midwest my whole life, and so there's kind of that, uh, each one of those places is different, but then the people are different, you know so much of what the constant is in this area of the country and sure that's that's one thing that I, I've just loved about all the places I've lived you know I lived in Kansas City I've lived here in Springfield lived in Omaha and the the landscape is so different but a lot of times like you're saying you can get those people that look the same or act the same and it teaches you something about how the environment affects them and how they can affect where they live and and you know what builds a town
2: Absolutely, and you—you you can't. I, I something that I've learned um, is the 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 interconnectedness, I guess, of of the psychological landscape with the physical landscape. You know how they sort of they push and pull back and forth with one another, and it's never quite clear what made who or who made what. You know, are these are these are these personality traits that sort of get um, nurtured within these communities? Are they a product of the environment? Are they a product of um, are they a product of the industry there, or is the land sort of being shaped and molded by people who are drawn to this lifestyle? I mean, it, it's it's an interesting sort of dance between, like I said, the psychological and the physical landscape. and um, and again, that's another thing that I've been interested in as uh, not necessarily trying to visualize anymore, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, just as as a way to sort of take into account when um, during my thinking processes.
0: So if you could go back, and, you know, say something to your younger self or or have a, a word of wisdom to that, you know, struggling grad school student or or even before then in those 18 years where you said you didn't learn as much or, you know, do as much, uh, you know, how, what would you what would you do if you were if you were to look back and, and ask, you know, give like to be the, the hand on the shoulder for, for that younger <laughs> Colby? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that I, I think about that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you, you know, like I said, I, my my upbringing was really was really not all that uncommon, probably for a lot of people. Um, I, my parents are wonderful, um, both very hardworking. Um, my father he didn't um, he didn't get to go um, to school beyond high school. My mother is um, a cosmetologist, so um, they definitely instilled in me a strong work ethic. Um, they have worked for everything. Uh, I'm not going to say that they, you know, to, to, say that they didn't have people there to help when they could, uh, would be to, to do them a disservice as well as the people that helped them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, uh, they have, they have then reached out and tried to help my wife and I, when we were starting, we were, we were getting started. And so that, that energy, that spirit um, I, I think if I could reach back, gosh, I'd say a lot of things to young Colby, um, <laughs> that would be one thing I would I would tell Colby is just to like chill and respect this and to look at this um, in all its complexities, to look at this community in all its complexities, to look at these relationships in all its complexities, and that's something that's hard because it takes maturity, and I'm not even going to try and say that I'm mature now, but it's growing on me and uh, again like distance is really really helpful for that mature process maturing process but to just slow down and to see things for, as they are n- again not as I would like them to be I mean that's that's a personal mantra these days you know just to see things as they are mm-hmm. um, and I think that would have helped a lot of sort of those young person anxieties that sort of popped up mm. but but again I don't know, if that would have done me any service, because then maybe I would have ended up with other ones. Because I think that's a, an important part of growing. But, but that would be the big one, just to realize how wonderful and complex those relationships are. Um, and look, I, you know, I had I had grandparents who definitely supported my pursuit of the arts. Um, they were also concerned when they re- when they realized that they had supported it so much that I wanted to go into the arts mm-hmm. for a profession. You know, um, but again, that's because that community, that, that culture doesn't really, I mean, everything's so much grounded in how are you going to support yourself? How are you going to live? How are you going to support your family? And I did want a family at the time. I, or not at the time, obviously, but I thought I wanted one eventually. Sure. And, um, that was so much, I mean, that was that people just breathe that in. You'd walk around in my town and you breathe that in. So, you know, how did the arts fit into that? Um, and you know, and you're seeing that play out in small rural uh, schools as well, where funding is being pulled away from all kinds of things because, really, everyone just assumes, well, what's the arts going to do for you? You know, right. uh, and I, I think that's uh, that's an incredible, incredible um, danger um, to to people's well being, to young children's well being, for sure, young kids' well being. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's
0: that is a. Uh... A really good takeaway too and and really something that i kind of want to i'd love to end on that because that's such a, a powerful note for uh you know the future generations and for the what we're going through right now in this country that we need to respect the art we need to respect the people that are around us and where we came from and how we can make that better and improve that for others so um i mean i don't know a better way to end the show so colby thank you so much for uh taking time with us today and i've really appreciated your perspective on a lot of this
2: well, thank you so much for having me. It's It's been wonderful. And uh, I always enjoy the opportunity to try and um, vocalize things or talk through things. Um, that's another place where you can really just learn from whatever you've just said, if you can make it out. <laughs> so uh, thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate you guys' questions too.
1: Yeah, this was great. Uh, you guys can get to know Colby by visiting his website at colbyjennings.com. And you can also learn more about this show by visiting spiritofmidwest.fm. Please, please, please review the podcast in iTunes. Um, We would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please join us next time as we celebrate the spirit of the Midwest.